Blog Talk Radio. And of course, nothing's happening. It's, we got a delay going on here. What's happening? No. <laughs> This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is Whistleblowers, and it's brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, an annual event at the end of every July in Washington, D.C. And I want to thank them for all of their support and for everything they've done to help promote our shows. Um, We truly appreciate it. Our guests tonight are two well-known horse advocates. Uh, Debbie Coffey and Carol Walker, and they have done extensive work over the last several years uh, documenting the obliteration and slaughter sometimes of our wild horses by the Bureau of Land Management. This has been one of the most disgusting things I have seen the federal government engage in. Um, Not to be bothered by facts, the BLM routinely puts out Fake news. What better better term to use for it? Uh, it appears that nothing needs to be accurate or true. You just get to post it. And But the story they paint for the public and what's really happening behind the scenes are two entirely different things. One of the things that we're going to be discussing tonight is abandoned mines. And for those of you that did read the... Um, Promo, we're talking, uh, the BLM has estimated that there are about 500,000 abandoned mines. Um, The Government Accountability Office puts that at 620,000. This is just, this is unbelievable. Um, Oh, and we've got some folks from D.C. on the board here, too. Welcome to the show. I hope you get some useful information. And, of course, if you want to talk, call in and hit that number one. And... um, in the meantime, uh, Debbie, Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marty. Thank Thanks you for Marty, having us yeah. on. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I'll, Debbie, I'm going to let I'll you keep, yeah. lead this off and uh, okay. and started, and then I'm going to kind of sit in the background because you girls know more about this than I do. So give it a shot. Oh, you just want to drink your coffee? Okay. Um, That's right. Well, I want to start off. <laughs> you know. Our public lands are what make America great. Think of Yellowstone. Think of the Grand Canyon. And these public lands are owned by all Americans. They're not owned by the Bureau of Land Management. They're not owned by the Department of Interior. They're not owned by the federal government. They belong to all of the Amer- each and every American. Uh, unfortunately, our public lands are being mismanaged by the Department of the Interior. Special interests influence government decisions about the management and uses of our public lands. Our public lands are being sacrificed for corporate greed. Um, I'll give you one example of how the Department of Interior is deceiving the American people about what's happening lands. 
as you know, in 2019, uh, William Perry Pendley, who is, the, who is exercising the authority of the director of the Bureau of Land Management, told the Society of Environmental Journalists um, in a meeting in Colorado that wild horses were the biggest problem facing federal public lands in the West. Well, for one thing, wild horses are only on about 4% of public lands in the West. The BLM has estimated that there are about 500,000 abandoned mines in, in our nation. However, the Government Accountability Office, uh, the GAO, has stated that in just the 13 western states, the inventory puts abandoned mine estimates at 620,000. So that's just the western states. And, you know, there was a lot of coal mining back east and everything. So um, this estimate, the 620,000, includes public, private, and state lands. And one interesting thing, Marty, is that not all government agencies keep track of the number of abandoned mine sites. Uh, they only keep track of abandoned mine features. These are things like mine tailings or waste rock. So it's kind of hard to, to get a real accurate uh, count um, of how many sites there are. I, I looked at several GAO reports and, and um, um, the Department of Interior's Office of Inspector General report. So it's kind of hard to nail that down. Um, in a March 2020, the GAO just issued a report uh, on abandoned mines. So just, you know, a few months ago and stated that on public lands, the Bureau of Land Management, the Forest Service, the National Park Service, and the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, found 140,000 abandoned mine features and estimated that there could be more than 390,000 abandoned mine features on public lands that have not yet been captured uh, on agency databases. The most concerning um, situation created by these abandoned mines is their threat to our water resources. Acid mine drainage is a highly acidic wastewater that is toxic to fish, other aquatic species, and can pose major threats to human health and our water supplies. Um, the EPA estimated that 40% of the West Headwater watersheds have been polluted by mining, and much of that pollution is due to abandoned mines. Uh, as you know, Marty, when we, we did a radio show once about the Gold King mine disaster near Durango, Colorado, yes, and that sent three million gallons of toxic water into the Animas River, and that spill went from the from Colorado to New Mexico and on to Lake Powell in Utah. So you have to ask yourself, how could one wild horse possibly be as destructive as an abandoned mine. For the most part, the news media has fallen down on their job to inform the public about what's happening on our public lands because most times they just repeat whatever the BLM puts out in the press release. Members of the media often don't do much, if any, research. Um, otherwise, government agencies have deceived the public was brought up in a report by the Office of Inspector General of the Department of Interior. The government you know, and, and, and we'll talk about that more later, but the government doesn't give the public much information. Since we're going to talk about abandoned mines tonight, I went to look up government records about abandoned mines. And um, if you go to a website, it's called abandonedminds.gov, and it's managed by the BLM. This is supposedly the quote-unquote unified voice of 14 government agencies that oversee the environment, mental health, and safety impacts of abandoned mine lands across this country. Sounds big, huh? So what do you find out? When you look at their page about abandoned mines, it consists of one paragraph. 
then under the extent of the problem, then when you, you'll have to go to this, abandonedminds.gov, as soon as you get off, before they add a bunch of stuff before tomorrow morning, because I tell everybody about it. <laughs> so um, and then we, so you, we'll, you look under um, the extent of the problem. So first there's the imp- introduction page. They give you three, st- three sentences. Um, and one of them stating that it's critical to address the serious health, safety, and environmental th- threats abandoned mine lands can pose. Um, health concerns. Two paragraphs. One of them was noting uranium mine pose the added threat of radiation exposure. Water pollution, one paragraph. Air pollution, one paragraph. Uh, Sediment contamination, one paragraph. Threatened and endangered species, three paragraphs. Those of you who like to learn about bats, you can read those paragraphs. So you get the idea. This this website is the equivalent of delving into the kids' book, Sea Spot Run. Um, Deb, you Deb, my, the, Deb, I just looked yeah. up the website. It's gone. Uh-huh. It says the domain is for sale. It's gone. Oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> well, oh, my goodness. Interesting. Good thing yes. I printed it up. Anyhow, um, <laughs> <laughs> Y'all better put it back up. I, I sure. Oh, no, wait. I is sure. it abandonedminds.gov or .com? .gov. Okay. No, no, no. .com is, a, is gone. Okay. Yeah, probably because .gov got it. But Okay. Deb, Sorry. the people that put this together, the people that put this, we're not paying them, are we? Oh, yeah, lots of money. They, they get pretty good salaries and benefits. Okay. So anyhow, most people aren't going to realize this, and even what I tell you, you aren't going to believe it, but the U.S. is still operating under the General Mining Act of 1872. <laughs> so we're, we've got a lot to tell you about this tonight. We're going to give you more information uh, about this and about abandoned mines later in the show, and we're going to put this issue into context as we discuss the unfairness of what's happening to America's wild horses and burrows. So, Carol, I'll let you jump in here. Oh, okay. So um, the first thing to know is that this year the BLM has plans to remove um, 12,080 wild horses from our public lands, and this is more in one year than they have done in 19 years. And that is not even counting the roundup that they have uh, now decided to resume in the Red Desert Complex in Wyoming. So um, if they remove about 1,500 horses, which is what we're thinking is going to be the minimum, that puts it at 13,580 wild horses removed this year alone. And people wonder, well, what happens to these wild horses when they get rounded up? And they that's get what initially I was they get initially yep, sent to short term short term what's called short term holding facilities, which is where they uh, they get processed. They get they get uh, the stallions get gelded. They the mares get separated from their foals. The they um, get branded. They get uh, a neck tag, and then they get um, channeled to different places. So the older horses, now they're shipping 
any horse over five to long-term holding, which is usually corrals, so like a feedlot. Some of them are on pasture, but it's getting more and more uh, that the horses are just basically going to glorified feedlots. And then they have now beefed up their adoption program. And how they did that is they're offering people $1,000 to take a horse. And uh, you get uh, 500 after two months and the title. So what's happening is people are taking these horses, and after two months they're dumping them at uh, kill, kill buyer auctions. So these horses, they, they've had the best year for adoptions that they've ever had. Well, yeah, because people are getting free money for taking the horses for two months. So, um, so some of the horses get, actually do end up at good homes. Some of the horses uh, get sent to the long-term holding. And then there are some horses that disappear. Debbie has been documenting this for a long time. Some horses that disappear and somehow don't get accounted for. And uh, quite a few of these horses, um, you know, there's no, the BLM has never released any figures, um, but we think it may be over 50% of the wild horses that are adopted are returned. So, uh, you know, it's a bad situation for these horses. They end up in these corrals living out their lives, or they end up at slaughter, and a lucky few get adopted by people that will keep them forever. It's none of it's a good thing. And there are supposedly around 45,000 horses that are in holding facilities, and they actually had to get new short-term holding corrals uh, for the horses that they're rounding up this year because they didn't have enough room. That's why the Red Desert Complex roundup in 2018, they only took um, 1,442 horses when they had targeted 2,670. They stopped halfway through because there was nowhere to put the horses. Uh, Of course, there was no thought that, gee, maybe we should manage them on public lands where they belong. No, 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 no. We have to remove the horses and get rid of them and to satisfy the ranching interests that figure because they have grazing leases on this public land that it's theirs and they can do what they want. Um, Or there's issues with the mining and oil drilling and the need for water. And if there is a need for water and they think there isn't enough, then the horses, you know, get targeted because horses drink, you know, drink water, as do livestock. So, um, Deb, did you want to say anything yeah. about... Can it, may I, well, yeah, Nate, no, could I ask something real ahead. quick? Sure, go ahead. Uh, what What is is it that that is creating all these needs for mines? What kind of mines are these? That there are so many well, uh, of them, all kinds. and it's so scary. You know, uranium, uranium mines, which we'll be talking about a little later in the show, um, uh, you know, Gold, silver, uranium, coal, all kinds of mines. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyhow, I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. That's okay. The BLM is constantly complaining about the cost of their wild horse and burro program. That it costs them so much to keep all these horses and in, in um, you know these holding facilities. Well, here's the thing: the horses and burros were grazing for free on public lands, but <laughs> the BLM yeah. concludes colludes with the livestock grazing industry to round up and remove the wild horses and burros, which, you know, 
than than the the ranchers uh, that are raising their privately owned uh, cattle and sheep on public lands for cheap. Um, you know, the, the, that, that's a big pressure point. But here's the thing. The BLM's fiscal year 2021 budget uh, was supposed to be $116.8 million for the Wild Horse and Burrow Program. This is $15.3 million more than last year. And, and a lot, most of this money goes towards roundups and warehousing these wild horses and burrows on private property. Comparatively, the General Accountability Office, the GAO's recent report, states that the BLM the National Park Service, the EPA, and the Department of Interior's Office of Surface Mining and Reclamation combined only spent spend about $287 million annually to address environmental safety hazards of abandoned mines. Uh, out of this um, $287 million, the BLM spends $159 million a year of that amount. So what this means is the BLM spends almost as much on its mismanaged wild horse and burrow program as it does to clean up abandoned mines that are threats to the environment and public safety. Now, bear this in mind when the Department of Interior claims it doesn't have enough money to clean up abandoned mines. Um, what often happens is that abandoned mines are left to fester until minor problems become major problems. Um, uh, and, and, you know, part of this is... Uh, problem is that the U.S. is still operating under the General Mining Act of 1872. And a lot of that had to do, of course, with uh, Harry Reid from Nevada. And, you know, anytime anybody tries to modernize that act or fill in the loopholes, um, you know, they, they get a lot of um, special interests jumping in to help um, persuade them not to. Um, the Government Accountability Office explained that thousands of mining operators have extracted billions of dollars worth of hard rock minerals from land that's managed by the BLM without being required to pay a federal royalty. So they get all that for nothing. In addition, in the past, many mining companies uh, abandoned hard rock mining sites and they didn't reclaim the BLM land, disturbed by their exploration and mining. And in 1981, the BLM issued regulations requiring operators of hard rock mines to reclaim the land disturbed by mining However, it wasn't until 2001 that the BLM amended the regulations to require all mining operations provide bonds or other financial assurances before they could begin exploration of mining operations on BLM land. Um, unfortunately, even those financial assurances are sometimes less than needed to fully cover the, the reclamation costs, so this taxpayer still has to pick up the tab for part of the reclamation. And um, in cases where a company can't be identified to clean up the abandoned mine, the costs fall to the American taxpayers. And both federal and state governments can be liable for cleanup of abandoned mines under the Superfund law. So there's just a lot going on with that. So the, the thing is, um, you know, a lot of the BLM, Forest Service, and EPA rules that pertain to hard rock mining are lax and they're riddled with exemptions. So those need to be updated to close the loopholes. And so we also need to modernize that 1872 mining law and the, the regulations. Um, is everybody still there? Are you guys listening? Yeah. No, yeah. we left. Okay. I was, yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure. So it was like, there was like silence. I didn't know what was going on. Um, no, no, no. no. <laughs> 
you know, and the Department of Interior's Office of Inspector General um, found dangerous levels of environmental contaminants such as arsenic, lead, and mercury at some sites. They found that, and here's where some of the deception comes in. The, the Office of Inspector General of the Department of Interior found that BLM supervisors told staff to ignore these problems and employees were criticized or received threats of retaliation for identifying contaminated sites. Uh, mm -hmm. One employee stated that adding sites to an inventory list and declaring them unsafe was more detrimental to the BLM because doing so acknowledged a hazard and was a potential liability for the BLM. Um, yeah. Employees were. Um, one employee told uh, DOI officials that there were thousands of dangerous abandoned mines within the employee's jurisdiction and was subsequently criticized for making that statement. Several employees told OIG that management made threats against their careers for raising these issues. One BLM field office manager stated that management had never asked him to take samples of potentially contaminated, contaminated sites. Uh, the OIG visited uh, the Rand Mining Distant District near Ridgecrest, California in 2007 because in 2006, um, the samples had been taken and the BLM identified dangerous levels of arsenic contamination thousands of times higher than the EPA, uh, than EPA recognized safe levels. And the BLM had known about this potential contamination for decades, but had never taken samples to, to assess the danger to the public. So, you know, so when we're talking about the wild horses who are pretty remote and hard to find at this point um, out on our public lands, and, and we see how the BLM is focusing on this, and none of us probably hear a peep about abandoned mines. It kind of, just that kind of, that's the whole, the whole. Um, part, right, part and Deb, I think, yeah, and most people aren't even aware that there is abandoned mines or that the problem is this extensive. You, right. you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So getting this out is uh, pretty important because, like I say, most people don't don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know a lot of abandoned mines have shafts and and they look. I've seen a bunch of pictures and it looks like a big hole in the ground. You know, a lot of places it doesn't look like uh -huh. oh this is a mine, and, and so they've had a lot of injuries and deaths of people falling down mine shafts and that kind of stuff. And, and in 1996 in Virginia City, Nevada, a local high school teacher and a friend were killed when they entered the new Savage Mine, and the men had ignored the large keep out bad air warning sign at the mine entrance and they bypassed a fence and they were asphyxiated. So, you know, a lot of these, oh, wow. there's a lot of dangers with these mines. So, and, wow. and Deb, what about like with the uranium mines? Is there a danger of radiation from from the abandoned mines? Yes, that's a, that's a, big, that's a big deal. And as you know, Carol, you were talking to me when we were talking about all the horses being rounded up in the Red Desert. Um, we were talking about these two uranium mines that are being expanded in areas where wild horses are supposed to be protected by federal law, but instead are being yes. removed. Uh, one of those is the Lost Creek Mine. This is out of the Rollins Field Office. And there's three herd management areas. Um, uh, right around it. Likely and I pass it. by yes. it when I go there. Yes. Yes. That would be Stewart Creek HMA, the Lost Creek Herd Management Area, yes. and the Green Mountain Herd Management Area. Because horses yes. go from over to Green Mountain. Anyhow, um, the BLM calls this a recovery project, but they're expanding mining operations to increase the annual yellow cake production rate. They're expanding um, not only to the next 
deeper layer of minerals, but they're adding 5,751 5, additional surface acres for a total project area of over 10,000 acres. And kind of when I was looking at this with Carol, I, I went back and looked at the roundups, like from 2018, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and they rounded up 212 horses from Stewart Creek, um, a full dot Most was of lagging them, behind. And just oh, I was going to talk about that stuff. Up. I was going to yeah, talk about yeah. that stuff, Deb. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then, and then the other uranium mine is the Sheep Mountain Uranium Project. And that's out of the Lander Field Office. And this is approximately 60 <laughs> miles east of Lander, Wyoming. And it affects the wild horses of Crooks Mountain and Green Mountain HMAs. And they have right. both a, a pit mine and an underground mine. And what they're going to have, or what they do have, is a 40-acre heap leach pad. Now, this is where mine ore is crushed in small chunks, and it's heaped onto a plastic or clay-lined leach pad where it can be irrigated with leach solution to dissolve the valuable metals. So, um, anyhow, uh, that's what's going on with that. But, but this mine, uh, it's going to use 20,000 gallons of water daily for the ventilation okay. system and during operational drilling. So, you know. So, would this uh, be a reason to remove wild horses? Well, they might have a lot of trucks going back and forth, and they wouldn't want anything to slow down the trucks. Um, but also the water table. What they're doing. I mean, yeah. Well, well, and also the water, right? Well, I've explained to people one of the big deceptions with with environmental assessments for mining companies is like you know if you went in a pond and you threw a stone in it and you'd see the ripples go out from the center. Well, right. the BLM does water drawdown maps, and what the BLM does. The, the deepest water drawdown is right at the mine, you know, like 50 feet or whatever. And as you go right. farther out, it's like maybe, you know, 20 feet, 10 feet, 5 feet. Well, the BLM does not do 5-foot or 1-foot water drawdown maps. They actually tell the mining company not to prepare those. And, and what that would do, there's a much bigger radius of area that is affected by, that, by the water that the mining's using. And uh, at a 1-foot water drawdown that would dry up streams and everything. So okay. uh, that's, and that's one of the things I think is very, yeah, yeah. So, and, so you can and go back would and it dry up springs as well? There. Would that dry up springs yes. as well? I don't know yeah. if it dry up springs. It might, but I, I definitely know it dries up. A one-foot water dry, dry, um, dries up springs. Right, right, right. So should so I go ahead and talk, about talk, a little about, yeah. talk a little about the roundup? So the yeah. original roundup uh, in the Red Desert Complex, um, there's five herd areas there, Antelope Hills, Crooks Gap, Green Mountain, Lost Creek, and Stewart Creek. And then in the middle <laughs> is a huge area that used to be an HMA, a herd management area, but it's now an HA, not managed for horses, mm -hmm. called Arapahoe Creek. And it doesn't make any sense at all because the BLM even says that the horses travel from one HMA to another. So why would you have a area that is not managed for horses in the middle of the HMAs? Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, they were going to remove 2670 horses. They actually removed 1,442. Twenty-five were returned. Uh, Twelve of them were mares that were given PZP. And 10 horses died, and two of them were foals that were run to death. 
and it was done in summer in the extreme heat, and it was very inhumane. Some people don't know what a, a wild horse roundup is like. I have been to 12 of them. And what happens is um, in a roundup like this where you're going to remove a lot of horses, the BLM always uses helicopters. Um, sometimes they use two helicopters, and they chase the horses, they scare them into running, and they sometimes they're they're not supposed to run them more than 15 miles, but a lot of times it's a lot more than that. And the horses are driven into a trap. Um, they release a horse that is called the Judas horse to run into the trap. The horse is trained to do this, and the other horses follow. The problem is when horses are panicked and scared, anybody who knows anything about horses, accidents can happen. Horses break their necks on the panels. If the trap isn't set up right, it can be a lot of horses breaking their necks and dying on the panels. They are mm-hmm. separating the mares from the foals, and sometimes little month-old foals ended up, end up separated from their mothers. A lot of times, two-month-old and three-month-old foals are separated, and usually you don't want to separate a foal before it's six months old. And you have stallions fighting in the corral. It's a really horrible thing to watch. Um, and uh, uh, it's very cruel. And um, sometimes they will let the horses settle, but sometimes they just load them right in a trailer and truck them off. And, of course, the horses have never been in a trailer before, and they're terrified. And there can be accidents in the trailers as well. So, and... Um, when I first started observing roundups in 2005, they used to allow the public to watch, and it was not a problem. Now, sometimes I am three miles away from the trap site, so I have virtually no ability to judge the condition of the horses as they're coming in. Um, commonly, it's about a mile. They'll put us mm-hmm. far away, and they say it's for the public safety, which is baloney, or they say we might get in the way and impede the roundup, um, it's all, it's all a, a matter of control, keeping us away, not letting us see. They don't want us to film and video horses getting injured because it looks bad for them. And it's, uh, it's a very frustrating because we own these horses. The American public owns these horses. The BLM does not own these horses. The Coutures, who are a contractor who is doing the roundup in the Red Desert, they do not own the horses but they get to call the shots. They get to say where the trap's set. They get to say where the public goes. And sometimes we used to be able to see the horses after they were brought in. At the end of the day, we'd get to look, walk around the, the corrals and look at the horses. Recently, they've been shipping the horses so quickly and not even letting us see the horses. And as Deb had mentioned, um, these holding facilities, most of them are on private land. And so some of these horses we never see again. And there's even people who are interested in adopting who get told that, no, if you have a particular horse in mind, it's too bad. You, we're not going to hold the horse for you. We're not going to help you. It's, it's a horrible situation. Um, mm-hmm. you, it used to be that when, um, when I, in the checkerboard roundups, they would send half the horses to Canyon City in Colorado and half the horses to Rock Springs. And both of those facilities were open to the public which was great because then you could go see the horses, you could adopt them, you could take pictures of them so people could see them and adopt them. But um, 
three years ago, they started sending them to Axtell, half of the horses to Axtell. And Axtell has a two-hour tour once a year. So there is virtually no public access. And it's a horrendous situation, and it, it shouldn't be that way. Also, mm-hmm. the horses should never be removed from our public lands. They are supposed to be managed on our public lands. They, they are so much better off if they are in the wild and with their families, in their homes. They're safe there. They're not safe being chased by helicopters. They're not safe being trucked all over the all over the country. They are not safe being stuck in these holding facilities and possibly being shipped to slaughter. So people need to know this um, because. And the other thing was the last roundup where I was there, I saw foals, little young foals that were too young, two two and three months, crying for their mothers. And they had been separated. And it was the cruelest, most heart-rending thing I have ever heard. And it's just wrong. And it doesn't have to be this way. Um, You know, there are a lot of different ways that horses could be managed on public lands. And the BLM claims we don't have have any good ideas. No, you have plenty of good ideas. There's plenty of fine minds who have great plans and ideas for keeping the wild horses on our public lands, but they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody a little bit about the sterilizations they want to do, Carol. Yeah, so I have um sterilization of the wild horses since 2015 when the BLM came up with this brilliant idea and $900,000 to finance it where they were going to rip out the ovaries of wild mares doing an over, doing ovariectomy via copotomy, and they basically use a chain, which is called an acracer, to rip out the ovaries of the wild mare. Oh, God, this is and making me And virtually very little, if any, pain control. And they were, they were wanting to do this experimentally in corrals, dirty, filthy corrals first, and because then they wanted to do it in the field. Yeah. Wasn't, they, so, wasn't the um, University of Oregon... Wasn't the University of Oregon going to actually? Wasn't the University of Oregon actually going to be involved in this? What was One that? of the universities out west, the University oh, yeah. of were, Oregon. They were, and we we actually yeah. stopped this from happening three times. Now, uh, the first one was in Oregon, and then it was going to be in Colorado, here in Colorado, at CSU and at CU, excuse me, and. Um, we have managed to stop it. I've been involved in two lawsuits now to stop this okay. very cruel process. Basically, a lot of these mares would have died. And oh, there's yeah. no reason to do this. There are humane methods of birth control that don't require torturing wild horses. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so it's completely unnecessary but it was, you know, something that they really, really want to do. And they're still pushing to do this. And that $900,000 is burning a hole in the BLM's pocket. I mean, they, they are going to try again, for sure. Wow. Can you imagine field sterilizing? Can you imagine doing this in the, in, in the field and, and the horse range and then just turning these horses out and them dying? I mean, it's just well, and unbelievable. 
the the, the BLM is trying to go, oh, it's been done for a long time. Well, you know what? It's archaic. Veterinarians don't even do this on domestic horses anymore. No, yeah. and they certainly oh, would yeah. never do it in an unsterile environment. It's just right. insane. This is what bothers me about these people and most federal agencies that I deal with on any level. In, in situations relative to this, they will always reduce themselves to the lowest possible level and come up with the most archaic, barbaric, painful, disgusting ways to get things done. And I'm trying to figure out why. Why would you well, do something like this? And who would do something like this to an animal that's been rendered virtually helpless while you torture them? This is just sickening. It's making me sick in my stomach. Yeah. And it's it's wrong. It's wrong. And, you know, but, you know, there is very little I, 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 there's one of the things I hate most is going to one of these holding facilities and seeing these horses, these beautiful horses that I had seen in the wild, and they are standing in filth. They usually clean these facilities once or twice a year. Standing in filth with no shelter from the sun or the wind or the cold. And they have this dull look to their eyes. They're in these little pens. And this is what they are reduced to. It is horrible. It is not how you would treat a domestic horse, let alone a wild horse that's used to its freedom. It's not the way our horses should be managed. It's not the way that they should be. And the problem is because it's so expensive warehousing these horses that it really is a build-up to an inevitable let's kill them all so we can save money. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we know this that's is gonna what's going to happen. We know well, it. Well, yeah. Here's what's happened. In the past, the BLM's National Wild Horse and Burrow Advisory Board actually voted to kill all the horses in holding. That's what they wanted to do, so they're advising. And, and I'm going to jump in here, Carol, to talk a little bit about regulatory capture. Now, regulatory capture occurs when a government's regulatory agency, which was created in the public interest, ends up advancing the political or commercial concerns of the very few people, companies, or entities it's supposed to be regulating. And, uh, one of the, the, the biggest groups that are trying to get rid of the wild horses are, is the livestock industry. And as you know, um, the, the, there's, we call them welfare ranchers uh, because they pay very little to graze their privately owned cattle and sheep on pu- many, many acres of public lands. And a lot of these, they're not mom and pop. Most of them aren't mom and pop um, ranchers. A lot of them are like on Forbes list for billionaires, thanks to um, Vickery Eckhoff, who has the daily journalist, Vickery Eckhoff, who has the Daily Pitchfork blog. And, um, you know, uh, who are some of these people? Uh, the Silklot Corporation, um, uh, Barrett Bowles, these are these, Hilton, Baron Hilton, the Hilton Hotels, uh, Mary Hewlett Jaffe of Hewlett Packard, um, you know all these all these millionaires, Ted Turner. So so they're getting a lot of these public lands and, and raising their privately owned uh, livestock at very low fees. Well, we, we 
a very powerful lobby of the livestock industry. And what happens is, and a prime example of this is coming up, the National Wild Horse and Burrow Advisory Board and their other advisory, other BLM advisory boards. The members are appointed by the BLM, so they're kind of cherry-picked, and the BLM stacks them with members who support the livestock grazing and other commercial interests on public lands, and who and these people want to get rid of the wild horses and burros. They so want they to slaughter act. them. They want to send yeah. them to slaughter. They, they've voted to slaughter them. They're they're looking into ways to send them to other countries at the tax on tax paradigm. Um, so um, uh, you know, they voted for sterilizations and for actions that basically endanger America's wild horses and burros. And um, you know, basically. It's just, it's a stacked, it's rigged, it's rigged, and the, and the BLM colludes with this. So they're colluding with special interest, and particularly um, livestock grazing industry. And, and, and just another example, one thing that stood out to me as I was looking at some stuff, there was a recent article in the Nevada Current about mining in Nevada. So Nevada was ranked first nationally in the release of toxic chemicals per square mile. And 2017, 2017 was the most recent year for which data was available, and the EPA tallies toxins released into the air, water, and land. So Newmont Mining Corporation led the state by releasing a combined 230 million pounds of releases from three facilities. And that was three times more than the next biggest polluter in Nevada in 2017, and that was Barrick Mines, and they came in 75 million pounds released that year. Well, jump ahead, in 2019, uh, the BLM Deputy Director for Operations, Michael D. Ned, um, presented Newmont USA Limited of Elko, Nevada, the Mine Legacy Steward Award. So they gave him an award. And what's interesting, even more interesting about this, Michael Ned, who was born and raised in Guyana, uh, South America, immigrated to the United States as a young adult in 1976, he's been through FOIA records, Freedom of Information Act records, we realized he's been pushing the BLM to ship America's wild horses to Guyana. So a lot of things tie together, and they're very int- – I mean, they seem like they wouldn't tie together. But what, what, what are they going to do with the horses in Guyana? Oh, they, they will eat them. Over. They will kill them and eat them, basically. They use them oh, my for, God. Yeah, to, to work – you know, they put them where there's going to be, like, you know, just – Predators and everything, and then they want to use them for the border control, border patrol, where there, um, you know, where there's drug runners in some countries. It's really, you know, it's it's just horrifying what they're planning for these animals. Yes, and it's just it's completely um, unsustainable what they want to do, mm-hmm. and you know, our money should be should be spent improving the range. Studying the horses, using humane methods of controlling the population. This is where our money should be going, not in warehousing them in feedlots. It's just completely wrong on every single level. And you know, I when I first got involved with wild horses in 2004, you know, I thought, oh, this is a problem that we'll solve in a few years. Well, here it is, 2020. And as I said, they're rounding up more horses this year than they have in 19 years. And the plan 
that the BLM is is wants to do now, they're planning on rounding up in the next 10 years 140,000 wild horses, and there's only about 50,000 on public lands at this point. So they really, the big plan is to zero out wild horses. They want them all gone, gone, completely no longer on our public lands. And the checkerboard well, area of Wyoming that is a prime example. They're ta- they are planning to zero out three herds, three of the four herds on two million acres. And this is just, you know, this is what they would like to do in all of all of the all of the ten western states that they have wild horses in. And it's really the beginning of the end unless we stop it. Especially in Wyoming, there's a very powerful group there, um, livestock grazing group. It's called the Rock Springs Grazing Association. And they graze on a million acres of public lands, a million acres of public lands, dirt cheap. But not only that, members of that then also get get permits to graze under their under other uh, company names. So they get even more acres to graze on. But yet they're, they've been pushing and filing lawsuits to get rid of all the wild horses. So it's just it, really disgusting. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's greed at its max. I, this, this, I'm listening to this. And I, what escapes me is what possible purpose would it serve in reality? to kill off all of these horses. I, I'm sorry, it just escapes me. We are talking about such a massive amount of land. And yes, and, and wild horses are only the, on 4% of all of our yes. public lands. 4%. Yes. And they're supposed to be managed yes. as the principal species where they are found. They are not. They are pushed to the poorest of lands. They are fenced out of water. They are their air, their herd areas are zeroed out, and they are treated worse than you know. They're treated like pests, basically. Yes. Uh, girls, because we've they got, can. Uh, yes, uh, we've got about twelve minutes left here. We have a caller. Do you want to take a caller? Sure. Okay. Hang on here. We can get them up. Area code 954. Go ahead. You're live and on air. Hi. Uh, I have uh, two questions, actually. First of all, uh, what sen- senators or congressmen or news outlets have uh, have uh, Carol and Debbie uh, communicated this information with? Uh, wild horse issues, we've communicated with many um at the time, we were on the board of directors of Wild Horse Freedom Federation, and we actually hired a PR company to try and get this information to the news media. We actually did a white paper. We, uh, it was like several several years of investigations and Freedom of Information Act documentation, and we presented this white paper to members of Congress, and it's actually online uh, on Wild Horse Freedom Federation's website under documentation or under the white paper. And so we've presented a lot of information to Congress, members of Congress. We've presented uh, to major news outlets. And, um, you know, uh, at least the wild horse and burrow issue. And, and thank goodness for Victory Eckhoff of the Daily Pitchfork, because when, when publications like the New York Times or other, other newspapers get it wrong, Victory 
uh, on her website has a lot of uh, government data, and she actually will write the, these people and ask for a correction and then offer to help them find if they're going to do um, articles in the future so that they can write the information that's correct to get in touch with her uh, for, for, you know, so she can point them where to find the information that would be helpful for their article uh, from government records um, instead of just reading a press release and writing, oh, there's a, you know, the wild horses and burrows are running all over the West, or, you know, or there's an overpopulation. Yeah. Well, the, the reason they say there's an overpopulation is because most times uh, there's land use plans that are done by counties. And then when a BLM district does a resource management plan, which is basically their plan for 15 or 20 years, they base part of what they base it on is all these, um, you know, land use plans. Well, since a lot of the local people are these life, the livestock industry, a lot, like on one of these um, food management areas that, that um, Carol was talking about, it was like I think the appropriate BLM's quote unquote appropriate management level for wild horses was between 65 and 85 horses, and that's not even a high enough number for a viable herd. So that's why, besides the fact of removing them, they've been just quote unquote managing them to extinction. Yeah, I I understand that. Um, my other question is, uh, Debbie, all the information on the the mines. Um, do you have that online somewhere? Or can you post that? I, that was, I couldn't yeah. take notes fast enough. Well, what I'll do, I'll, I'll, uh, after I, we get off from the show, I'll put up um, on the PPJ Gazette, I'll put up links to the two GAO reports and the uh, Department of Interior's OIG report that I got a lot of the facts from. Okay, and I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. Where are you going to post that? I'll post it on Marty Oakley's website, the PPJ Gazette. Well, I'll, I'll try and put it up on my um, – I don't know where all this has been posted already, so I'll, I'll send some to Carol, and I'll put, you know, the, the websites I know about, I'll put the links up to those articles. But okay, because I um, saw the link, a link about this, uh, this uh, program on RT's uh, okay, website. I'll put it up on RT's. I'll put it up on RT's. Okay. I'll put it on Marty's blog. and. I'll have Carol put it up on her blog, too, Yeah. so people can That's go great. look at these documents. Great. great. Thank you. Okay. Is that everything you needed? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right. Thank thanks you for, for calling, calling in. Thanks for with the question. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, one, one thing I was going to bring up, that um, uh, last year, unfortunately, there was a win for the mining industry and in the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, in D.C. And they upheld an EPA decision not to instate a proposed rule that would have protected taxpayers from having to foot the bill for the cleanups of mining pollution. And the ruling came after environmental groups sued the Trump administration last year for dropping the Obama-era proposal that would have required hard rock mining companies to provide financial assurance that they could pay for any potential environmental cleanup. And, um, you know, um, in May 2020, Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility and the Western Watersheds Project uh, actually sued to remove William Perry Penley um, from overstaying, from staying, uh, from overstaying interim director term limits. Uh, in other words, he's been an acting director for longer than he should be. And even the Montana government 
governor uh, uh, filed the lawsuit. Um, so President Trump decided to circumvent the lawsuit by nominating Penley to a permanent position. Well, what happened then, William Perry Penley's nomination was withdrawn um, without any explanation, but it seems he didn't have the votes necessary um, for Senate confirmation. Um, so instead, Trump installed him for his unlawfully extended tenure as deputy director acting in the capacity of director of the BLM. Um, and, and I just read an article today, William Perry Penley was talking about the wild horses again and said that's one of his top two priorities, getting rid of those horses. And he goes, well, I guess he was a Marine. He goes, I just take orders and my bosses, and that would be, um, you know, President Trump and, and the Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt. Um, they're telling him to do that. So, you know, so, so, I, I so think we were going to, to we were going to say what what at this point can you do to help the wild horses? So of course, right now Congress isn't doing much, and what I am telling everyone: Would you like to help the wild horses? The number one thing you can do right now is vote. You need to vote. This will save the horses. So um, that's that's the number one thing. That you need to do. Why? Why? Why is that? What makes you think that? What do you mean? Well, that voting well, would would have an impact. Because we're going to have a change in administration, and and that is going to make a difference <laughs> with the Department of the Interior and the BLM, with who's heading it, and the policies. And, and policies at that point, there. we will also yeah. have an opportunity if there's also a change in Congress that we can get some legislation through to help the wild horses. We have some legislation that just went through the House, but there's no there's no way it's going to be approved by the Senate right now. So right. Um, that's the number one thing that you can do to help the horses. Okay. And, and I wanted to Good and I wanted to bring up um, if people want to learn more about public lands issues, um, the Western Watersheds Project at WesternWatersheds.org. They're a great group. Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility. Uh, that's at peer.org. Uh, uh, if you want to find some facts, go to the Daily Pitchfork at dailypitchfork.org. Um, and, and for wild horse issues, um, Carol's website, wildhorsebeats.com, um, uh, American Wild Horse Campaign, Wild Horse Freedom Federation, and, and American Herds is, is a website. It's at um, AmericanHerdsBlogspot.com. One of the best researchers the Wild Horse and Burrow people had, Cindy McDonald, retired uh, back in about 2011. But her work, um, I guess it, she keeps that blog up there because it's still relevant today. So if anyone new comes and looks at some of her research and reads some of those articles, it really – it's things you can't find anywhere else, and it really, she really had excellent insight and information about what was going on with the Gillen's Wild Horse and Bureau Program and horse slaughter. So um, I always tell people to go look at American Herds, too. And, um, um, and also with the upcoming roundup in the Red Desert Complex in October, I am planning to be there for quite a bit of it, and I will be posting updates and blogs and also on Facebook I'll be um, posting about what's going on with the Roundup and 
the horses and everything about that. So if you and follow me, you'll the wildhoofbeats dot com, and you can follow me at uh, Carol Walker um, on Facebook, uh, Wild Hoof Beats. Yes. And, okay. Um, this is. I know we're one. Now. Marty, I wanted to thank you and Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit for having us on as a guest on this radio show tonight. We really appreciate it. And you're, and you're giving answers well, to some issues that really that really the public doesn't know much about because it's not in the media. Exactly. I mean, I had a hard time finding articles about abandoned mines. Yeah. Well, I don't think – I think if you talk to a 1,000 people – they would know nothing about it. They, this is actually running way under the radar. So this show was excellent in exposing. The, uh, the sheer number of these is staggering. I mean, it's just absolutely staggering that we have these open holes, hundreds of thousands of them, littering the country, and they're worried about the wild horses? Please. Right. Uh, and, and even more importantly, yeah, just, contaminating our water that we grow food with yes. and we need to survive. Yep. Uh, one of the companies that you didn't mention when you were listing out all the people that take advantage of this welfare grazing, if you remember, Deb, JBS Brazil. They struck that deal with Tom Vilsack, um, mm-hmm. and they now own all of our uh, stockyards, and they are also funding several of those big ranches out west. And the plan is they eventually that all of the beef run here in the United States – will actually belong to JBS Brazil. So that's probably your biggest protagonist for the the wild horses. They want them gone. They made plain back then they wanted them gone. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, ladies, thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been a tremendous show and a lot of information. Everyone, the show is available in archives. You can listen to it as many times as you want to. And like the lady who called in, take notes. Uh, just a ton of information and resources that you can go and verify everything that was said here tonight. And I think that's important. Um, I'll go, uh, yeah, and I promise supply. everybody, as soon as I get off air, I will go put links in um, okay. where I've posted it, All right. the promo. Okay. okay. Well, with that, um, we're going to say goodnight. Everybody, thank you. We had a full audience. The board was full. Um this, I think, rocked a lot of people. I know part of it just absolutely made me sick at my stomach. And um, how people can do these god-awful things, I do not know. But we will be back tomorrow night with our In the Mix show on guardianship. And with us will be Sharon DeLobo. And Sharon put out the documentary, The Unforgivable Truth, about the theft of a large estate in um Wyoming that her parents set up for disadvantaged children that got stolen by the YMCA and First Interstate Bank and along with it $32 million and but it was all to benefit the ward who'd passed away but anyway we'll be talking about that tomorrow night of course Sunday night starts off the week again with Tanya and um, Tanya talks and they're still raising hell there in Oklahoma so We'll see what happens there. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow night. Good night, everyone. Good night.